the spiritual man, the three men that Paul speaks about so strongly there in 1 Corinthians 2 and 1 Corinthians 3. And as I was working through it and laying out the final outline, I'm all ready to preach it. God just put this different thing in my heart. And it's really strong. I came back and I preached it Wednesday night in revival night. And I asked the people at South Campus, would you please pray? I want to preach it all. I, I've never done a revival night service in the main auditorium on the weekends that we exposition. I said, I want to preach this all weekend. I want to talk to you about prodigals. Everybody say prodigals. I'm asking God for a harvest of prodigals. We're, we're out there evangelizing all these people, and it's so beautiful seeing these people come to Christ. It's so beautiful. I mean, you tell the young people, you turn from your sin and you turn to God. You turn from your pornography. You turn from your premarital sex. And the young people cheer. They cheered in Davao when I said that. Because, you know, you ask for how many want to get saved, and every hand goes up. And you go, how do I make these people understand this is real? We're not, we're not being religious here. We're turning from sin and turning to God. and God will save you by grace and change your life. But then I, forgive me, I, I'm a pastor. I think of our families. I think of our friends. And so many of us have family and friends that have, they walked away from God. And the problem is, they didn't just have like a little spiritual temper tantrum and get mad at God for a little bit. They, they turn their back and they walk away and they've kept on walking. And like the prodigal son, they've wound up themselves in all kinds of disaster. Now, you know, it's one thing to think about. It's another thing to, that's my mom, that's my dad. Young girl walked up to me, Pastor, pray for my dad. And her dad had messed up. When it's your family, when it's your friends, when it's your dad, when it's your husband, when it's your son, when it's your daughter, it's very different when somebody turns their back and just walks away from God and keeps walking. I want us to pray today that God will teach us how to bring our prodigals home to Jesus where they belong. Some of you are here today and you are a prodigal. You're here because you're coming back today. You come back in Jesus' name. Father, we open our hearts to you. It's so beautiful, Lord, to go into the harvest field and see the beautiful harvest that's so ripe. Father, we think about our families. We think about friends. We think about those in the church, Lord, that have turned their back and walked away from you. We hear the stories and we see the disasters in their lives. We see the messes. Father, teach us today how to not just bring in a harvest of souls, but how to see those lost sheep return, how to see these prodigals come back. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Luke 15, Luke chapter 15. Revival is a beautiful thing, but revival means that there was once life and now there's no more life. To revive something means something that was living has died. When we begin to speak of revival, we need to understand that there is a beautiful element and there are beautiful emotions and there's wonder and there's glory in it and the presence of God is in it. But we also have to understand what brought the need about for it. And that is people slowly grew cold in their hearts. They slowly began to walk away from God. They, they've made decisions and then their decisions made them. And you've often heard me make that statement. Too many Christians don't understand that life doesn't just happen. Life is not just a, a random series of events that happen. You make decisions. 
and then your decisions make your future. Uritanatan, I make decisions, and then decisions make my future. People say, why did this happen to me? Well, what, what decisions did you make that brought you into this situation? Yes, God is a good God, and God is a gracious God, but God doesn't overrule our free will. What decisions did we make that brought us into this situation? Luke 15, beginning with verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now notice, coming to him, it's not his yet. Inheritance transfers at death in Bible times. This young man had been grown up in a wealthy business family, and he had an entitlement mentality. Everybody say entitlement. And that entitlement mentality had to be broken before he could have a relationship with his father again. He said, give me what's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fee, his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Everybody say, no one gave him anything. This young man had to get over his entitlement mentality. There are no free rides in life. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, I like the NIV translation, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. I'm going to stop there because I just want to deal with the prodigal's return. We're going to look at three thoughts today. The fact that the journey back to God must have a beginning and what that beginning is. Secondly, how do we lead people on a journey back to God? And then thirdly, the fun stuff, the promises that occur when you return. Now let's start with the beginning. Everybody say the beginning. Every journey has a beginning. Even a journey to return has a beginning. What is it that caused this young man to begin his journey home? That's simple. He saw his need. He saw his what? He saw his need and he contrasted it with the goodness of his father's house that he had left. He saw what other people were like. He saw what the world was like and he contrasted it with the goodness of the Father's heart that he had been raised with. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the way it always works. You have to recognize people will need to see their need. Now, let me give you some illustrations. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, 
Moses told the people of Israel. He said, now listen, when you walk away from God, when you walk away from God, when you turn your back and walk away from God, he said, you're going to get into all kinds of difficulty and all kinds of problems. But he said, when you are in your distress, verse 30, or in tribulation, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. When you walk away from God, when you walk out from under the blessings of God, when you walk out from under the protection of God, when you walk away from the blessor, you're going to find that the other guy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The other guy, the devil, he's not nice. And all kinds of pain and suffering happen. Now, you have to understand, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of things in life we don't understand, but there are things that we do understand. When you walk with God, God in His grace and God in His goodness brings blessings to our lives. I didn't hear you. God is good and His mercy endures forever. When you walk away from God, you walk away from all of that blessing of association. You walk away from all that blessing of relationship. Let me give you another illustration. Jacob, he leaves Laban's household and he begins to move back toward God, but he stops. He doesn't fulfill his covenant. He doesn't fulfill his promise and go back to Bethel where he said, God, this will be your house. This is where I will worship. He doesn't fulfill his vows. He doesn't fulfill his promise. Instead, he stops someplace else and they begin to live there. Now, when you find yourself where you don't belong, things happen that should never happen. Let me say that again. When you are where you don't belong, things happen that should not happen. If he had been in Bethel where he was supposed to have been, all of this tragedy that unfolds in Genesis 34 and 35 would have never happened. But because he was not where he was supposed to be at Bethel, where he promised God he would come back to and worship, he's off in this other place. And the prince, the, one of the princes of the land rapes his daughter. Two of his sons get angry. They go and deceive the, the prince and the, his father, the king, and deceive the other leaders of the city. They get themselves circumcised so that, because these two boys promise that they'll intermarry with them and the wealth will be shared. And instead, they deceive them and they went in and they murdered all the men of the city. And then the other brothers come and help and they loot the, the wealth of the city. And finally, Jacob looks at his sons. And he said, verse 30 of Genesis 34, you brought trouble on me. He said, you, you brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves together against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, I and my household. But Jacob, you would have never been in this trouble if you had just done what you were supposed to do and go back to Bethel and hang out with God. Everybody say, go hang out with God. The prodigal son is in the same situation. He spends everything. He has nothing left. At the worst possible time, economic crisis hits the land. A famine hits the land. He has no money. He has nothing. He has no way to get home except to walk. In order to feed himself, he hires himself out as a hired man, daily wages, and he feeds pigs. And the guy who was his boss was a mean boss. He would not even allow him to eat the food given to the pigs. Nasty boss. In the middle of all of that disaster and pain, he saw his need 
and made a decision to come home to the Father. Now Jesus teaches us this illustration for a reason. That boy had to come to a realization that nobody's going to give you anything. That boy had to learn a lesson that this world is a cruel world and this world doesn't give you anything. But his father was a good father. His father was what? Now, for a prodigal to come back to God, they need to learn that this world is not a nice place. Sometimes people grow up in church their whole life. And they're used to Christians. And they're used to hanging out with God the Father. And everything is wonderful and everything is beautiful. And then they walk away from God and they walk away from, from the family of God. And they get out there in the world and they find out, you know what, those people out there aren't nice. I mean, forgive me, they're not nice. They'll swim in with the sharks, forgive me, they, those sharks will eat you. And they won't be nice to you while they do it. So this young man had to come to a realization of his need and that nobody would give him anything and that his father was a good father. Ulitanathan, his father was a good father. Now, application. If you've got a family member that's a prodigal, you are not helping them when you enable them. You are not helping them keeping them off the proverbial bottom of the barrel. Showing mercy to them, showing compassion to them is not going to help them. Until they hit the bottom, they're not going to come to their senses. Ulitinatim, come to their senses. Say it again, please. They're going to have to come to their senses. And as long as you're propping them up, as long as you're sending a little money every month, as long as you're helping support them a little bit, they're never going to come to their senses. They're going to have to hit the bottom of the barrel and come to a realization that there's no free rides in life. People of the world can be cruel, but God is good. Everybody say, God is good. Now, moms and dads, I know this is hard. This is difficult. You're going to have to walk in some tough love. You're going to have to walk in some strong love. Some of you wives, you're going to have to walk in some strong love with husbands that have become prodigals. You're going to have to love them enough to understand that the sooner they hit bottom, the sooner they come home. Everybody say, the sooner they hit bottom, the sooner they come home. And sometimes in your Christian pity, and I wouldn't even say mercy, in your Christian pity, because you love them, you keep trying to prop them up and you don't understand. Jesus told us that story. The father never chased the boy. The father never sent somebody along behind him with some extra money just in case. The father didn't try to prop him up a little bit. The father just said, you know what? I'm right here when you come home. Whenever you're ready to come home, I'm right here. I'm not moving. I'm right here. At some point, we have to love people enough to let them eat the fruit of their own decisions. Let me say that again. At some, at some point, we have to love people enough to let them eat the fruit of their own decisions. And when they taste the bitterness of the fruit of their own decisions, they begin to remember, God is good. Ulita nothing, God is good. Are you learning something? Now, the second thing that happens here, they not only make that decision when they real, face their need, 
they make that decision when they remember the goodness of the Father. Now, you keep hearing me say that, but let me show it to you. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, the NIV said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough to eat, and here I perish in hunger? He said, my father was a good man. Now, sometimes young people, they get a prodigal attitude. They've grown up in church their whole life. And somebody has sold them the same lie that Satan sold to Eve. God's holding you back. God doesn't want what's best for you. This is what's best for you. And, and people buy into the same lie that Eve bought into all those years ago. And young people, they, they walk away from God. They've grown up their whole life in church only knowing the goodness of God and the blessings of God. They've only seen the provision of God. They've watched God bless their families. They've watched the grace of God turn situations around in their home and their family. But one day they buy into the lie. God doesn't want what's best for me. God's trying to stop me from having a good time. God's trying to hinder me from having fun. And when they buy into that lie, they start walking away. But one day, in their pig pen of their own making, they will remember the Heavenly Father. They will remember their Father that always provided. They will remember the God that always answered prayer. They will remember the Father who was always good to them. Even when they were faithless, He was faithful to them. But we have to back up and let them hit the bottom of the barrel and remember. Everybody say, and remember. Say it again. Secondly, in order to bring them on a journey back to God, this is not like salvation. Salvation is all about God coming to seek and save that which was lost. Salvation is all about grace of God. This is different. This is relationship. This is what? And in this relationship that they had walked away from, when they come back, God says, um, I want to see your hearts in this. Deuteronomy 30, verse 2. Return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and all your soul. Joel 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With all your what? With all your what? This is a heart thing. This is not a salvation by grace thing. This is a heart thing. God said, I loved you, and you said you loved me, and you turned your back and you walked off. You took all the blessings I gave you and you walked off. Now, you want to come back into a close relationship with me, God says, man, I'm all for it. But I want you to come back with all your heart. With what? With what? Jeremiah 3, verse 10. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. But in what? But in what? Pretense. Pretending. There are so many people that have learned to play the Christian game, that have learned how to say hallelujah at the right time, that have learned how to cry crocodile tears and blow their sipon all over the altar. They've learned, they've learned the game. 
They know exactly what to say to convince you that they've really changed. And God said, it's pretending. Halimbawa. Let's just say that a young man was courting. Which one of you should I pick on? Okay, she volunteered you first. Stand up. Let's say there's a young man courting, Pastora Paula. She is available, by the way. I was advertising for her in Batangas the other day. She can shoot me later. Let's say there's a young man who is courting you, and he professes his undying love, and you're the most beautiful girl he's ever seen in his life, and he wants to spend the rest of his life taking care of you. And for the first six months, it's wonderful. He brings you chocolate. He brings you flowers. He escorts you to the office every day and home every night. I mean, he, he is a perfect guy at courtship. And then one day, you and Pastor Cecil are sitting out at Mall of Asia. And you're sitting there. What's your favorite restaurant at Mall of Asia? Samyu? Samyu. Oh, the Korean place, the all-you-can-eat. Why did I guess the all-you-can-eat? And you and, and, and Pastor Cecil are sitting there at the all-you-can-eat Korean restaurant. And you see him walking by, holding hands and laughing with a girl. And you walk out and you say, excuse me! And he comes to see you the next day and says, but Paula, it didn't mean anything. I really love you. And he's got all the words, man, just spotting smooth as oil. Are you going to believe him? What do you want? I want to see your heart. Preferably cut out and served on a platter. I'm teasing, don't do that. Any young lady would say, you know what? Words are cheap. Words are free. I want to see your heart. Now, when you have grown up knowing God, when you have grown up in God's family, and you turn your back and you walk away from Him, just walk away from Him. God looks at you and says, no more pretense. I want to see your heart. Everybody say, my heart. Say it again, please. Say it again. Now, now, this is why I, I almost don't do restoration with people anymore. I just, and I kind of wrote the book on the stuff. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that when the grace of God touches people's hearts and they come forward because they want change, they change. When people get caught, they cry crocodile tears and they're really sorry they got caught and they'll do anything to make the whole situation go away, but they never change. Are we still here? God looks at us and says, you know, I want a relationship with you, but I want to see your heart. No more pretense. No, no, more, no more putting on the beautiful, religious, charismatic, Pentecostal show. You know, you've done, you'll do everything. You jump through every hoop. You do everything. You do everything that you're asked to do. Da, 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 da. No. It's not about what you do. It's about your heart, your whole heart, no pretense. Now, let me begin to show you how this works in Genesis 33, 34, and 35. When all this trouble happens in Jacob's family, because they're not following God, Jacob has tolerated sin in his family. 
No, he did not know that his wife, Rachel, had stolen her father Laban's gods. He did not know that and was very angry that was accused of it. But, you know, he did find out later because in just a few minutes, he said, get rid of the foreign gods among you. So he did know it later. And he didn't make her take him back to her daddy. Did you hear what I just said? So he did find out later, and he did not make her take them back and make it right. We also see deception was very much a part of their family. Jacob's mother had taught him to deceive his father. Jacob's uncle, the, mother, the, the mother's brother, deceived him. So deception is very much a part of the family. Everybody say, a family culture. Say it again. Deception and manipulation is part of the family culture. And the grandchildren learned it also. Now the two sons go out and deceive and manipulate an entire city of men and kill them all. So you've got mama as a deceiver teaching her son Jacob to deceive. You've got her brother Laban deceiving, and now you've got the grandchildren deceiving, and Jacob hasn't forced a behavioral change in the family culture. So they have lots of problems. So finally Jacob stands up and says, listen, folks, we're in trouble. We've got to come back to God. And he gives them three commands. Genesis 35, verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself and change your clothes. Now, three commands. As we come back to God, he said three things we have to do. Number one, Rachel, we got to get rid of these foreign gods. Now, it's a fascinating study in the Bible. These gods are called the gods from beyond the river. Now, Jacob, when he got rid of the foreign gods among them, he buried them under the terebinth tree there in Genesis, but he didn't destroy them. Now, why he didn't destroy them, I don't know, but somebody obviously went back and dug them up later because those gods from beyond the river plagued Israel right through Old Testament times. You can just study gods from beyond the river. It's a great study in the Bible. But he looked at them on this day and said, Get rid of the foreign gods. Get rid of the idols. Now, this is the first thing you have to talk to somebody about who is returning to God. What did you put before God in your life? An idol is not just a statue that you pray to. An idol is anything that you lift your soul up to, anything that takes the place of God in your life. It, it's the priority ahead of God in your life. It's what you lift your soul to. Now, please, when we were all poor around here, we didn't have to worry about some of this stuff. But God's been good to us. And some of you, God has given some amazing jobs and careers to. And now that job or that career has become the idol in your life. It's become more important to you than God. If your boss, if your company says, you know, you've got to go out and get drunk tonight with in a, in a, entertaining these Japanese clients, you forget everything the Bible says and go get drunk. Well, I have to do it for my job. No, you have to follow Jesus. Are we still here? For some of you, your education has become your educational dream. I want to be a doctor. Has taken the place of God in your life. Now, I, you're, so for some of you, 
I mean, you grew up poor, and now God has given you this beautiful house. And now that house has literally become God in your life. It is the priority of your life. It, it is what you lift your soul up to. Now, if you're going to return to God, the first thing you have to do is take the idols out. Nothing comes before God in your life. Everybody say, nothing comes before God. Say it again. Secondly, he said, purify yourselves. Now, the Hebrew there has the idea of removing the loose dirt. In other words, don't flaunt your sin in front of God. A guy came to me one day and said, Pastor Summerall, I'm, I came to church today. I want to get right with God. I looked at the girl with him and I said, you two were having sex last night, weren't you? Yeah? You two are living, aren't you? Yeah? I said, I'll tell you what. You want to get right with God? You sit over here and have her sit over there. Don't sit here and hold hands and pretend like everything is all right and that you're husband and wife when you're just shacked up together. Don't stick your sin in God's face. Have a little respect for God. Are we still here? I've had guys walk in, drunk as can be. Pastor, I want to get right with God. Great. Come back sober. Now, yes, I've watched God instantly sober people up and get them saved, too. Yeah, I've got no problems with that. But there are people that want to play this game of, I'm going to stick my sin in God's face, and if he doesn't like it, tough. This is who I am. Well, you know what? It don't work like that with God. Boy, it's quiet in here. Look at the person next to you and say, it gets worse. You, you, don't stick your, you don't stick your sin in God's face and tell God whether you like it or not. You, you, you don't flaunt your sin in God's face and wave it at him. You know, and just say, I don't care what you think. That, that's not a repentant heart. Did you hear what I just said? That's not a repentant heart. And then thirdly, he said, change your clothes. Get dressed properly. Why? Show some respect. <laughs> a guy walks up to me and says, Pastor Samuel, I came to church. I want to get right with God. I watched him since he was a little boy. And I said, you came to church and you want to get right with God. Yeah. And I said, you're wearing shorts and slippers and a T-shirt. I said, did you sleep in that T-shirt last night? Yeah. Did you sleep in those shorts last night? Yeah. So you roll out of bed wearing your bed clothes, and you come to church wearing what you slept in last night, and you haven't had a bath yet, but all week when you go to Makati, you wear gusut mayaman. And you wear bally shoes. But when you come to God, you wear slippers. I said, now, you know what? If that's the best you had, great. But when you walk in treating God like this, you're telling God, I have no respect for you. Your heart has not changed. Are we still here? Are we still here? If you were to have an interview with President Duterte, would you wear your best clothes? Yeah, you might even borrow a barong from somebody that's nicer. We would look proper. Now, when your heart is repentant before God, and you're coming back into the presence of God, and you want to get things right with God, and you want to show God that you're coming back to Him with your whole heart, 
You don't stick your sin in his face and you, and you don't walk in still needing a bath and not properly dressed. You come back to God saying, God, I re- this, is, this means something to me, God. This is important. How many ladies are here? All the ladies, raise your hand. If some guy, if that guy who had been courting you came to see you the next morning smelling like alcohol, looking like he'd been throwing up in the toilet all night, smells nasty, wearing nasty clothes, saying, will you love me? What would you say? Your brother would take a baseball bat and drive him away, Diva. If the boy is really sincere, he puts on his best. He takes a bath. He smells good. He cleans up himself. Is that right, ladies? Is that right? Excuse me. This is human, this is normal human behavior. Jacob says, family, we need to come back to God. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of all that sin that you've been flaunting in his face. Clean things up a little bit. Put on some decent clothes. And let's go meet with God. Now there are some steps. Lamentations 340. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Everybody say, test and examine my ways. That's what the prodigal son had to do. He had to test his ways. You know, I've been wrong. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against my family. He tested and examined his ways. Now, forgive me, you, you, can, you can come up with a biblical rationalization to do just about any sin that you want to do. Let me say that again. You can come up with a biblical rationalization to do just about any sin you want to do. Or you can be honest with yourself. Now, if you really want to see people that have figured out how to rationalize sin, come with us to Israel. It's amazing. I thought Protestants could figure out super spiritual ways to justify sin. You ought to get around the Orthodox Jew. We are kindergartners compared to them. Halimbawa, an Orthodox Jew is not supposed to eat shrimp. I'm sitting down at dinner with an Orthodox Jew, and he orders shrimp. I say... I didn't think you're supposed to eat shrimp. He said, they are circumcised shrimp. (laughs) How do you circumcise a shrimp? And then they order pork. And I said, you're not supposed to eat pork. He said, this is not pork. This is low cows. Beef, matankad cow. Pork, pandak cow. Locale. Everybody say locale. I said, but it's against Jewish law to even have a pig touch the land of Israel. They don't touch the ground. We raise them on wooden platforms. <laughs> and you just, you know, you just start shaking your head and just, they got a rationalization around everything. Now, now folks, at some point, if you're going to come back to God like the prodigal son, You just get honest with yourself. Everybody say, get honest. Quit rationalizing. Quit making excuses. Just say, you know what? I've sinned against God. I've sinned against my Father. You test and examine your ways. Everybody say, just get real. Say it again. 
I mean, please, folks, God is not into condemnation, but he is into honesty. Let me say that one more time. God is not into condemnation, but he is into honesty. And sometimes we just have to honestly look at ourselves and go, you know what? I've been a gold-plated, platinum-encrusted idiot. I've been wrong. I've tested and examined my ways. I'm wrong. This is wrong. Everybody shout, this is wrong. Test and examine your ways. Secondly, you come back with tithe and offerings. What? You buy salvation? No. Malachi 3, verse 7 and 8. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how will we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how will we rob you? In tithe and contributions, tithe and offerings. Now go back to all the teaching I've given you on tithing. Tithing is not a principle of the law. It's a principle of relationship. It began in the Garden of Eden. God put one thing in the garden and said, all the rest is yours, but please respect my authority. It is the symbol of our respect for God's authority in our lives. Now, the progressive revelation continues until it's defined as 10% and it's brought to the high priest. And There's a progressive revelation just like every other doctrine in the Bible. But tithing is all about a respect for God, the symbol for, of God's authority in our life. He said, of all that I bless you with, the tithe is returned to me. It belongs to me. Now, you return in tithing because you're again showing respect for God's authority. Everybody say, symbol of my submission to God's authority. Why offerings? Jesus said it this way. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you start bringing offerings to God, you're showing that that's the direction that your heart is moving in. So it's not about buying forgiveness or buying relationship at all. It's a symbol of our submission to his authority and it's, it's showing the direction of our heart. The next one, Genesis 35 verse 1. God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel, Beth house El God, arise and go to the house of God and dwell there. NIV says settle there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Now, how do we return to God? Well, here's another step. Go back to the house of God and settle there. Amen. Everybody say, settle there. This is where you came from. You grew up prodigal. You grew up in the family of God. You grew up in your father's house. Come back to the father's house and settle there. Start revolving your life around God's house again. Now, people will come to me and they say, Pastor Summerall, I, I want to get right with God, but I love God, but I hate, I hate church. It doesn't work like that. You've got to get rid of your bad attitudes. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I mean, if, you, if you're a prodigal, I know you've got big bad attitudes. I know you've got baggage. But you've got to get over that. There's nobody perfect in God's house. But God says, settle in Bethel. Settle in the house of God. Start dwelling in the house of God. Start revolving your life again around God's house and God's family. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You know, if I was a prodigal coming home, man, I'd be in church every time the door was open. I'd want to worship and spend time with God, read my Bible. I'd come early and read. I'd come early for worship. I'd stay late and spend some more time in worship. Revolve your life around God's family again. Revolve your life in God's house. As a prodigal, you walked away from God's house. As a prodigal, you walked away from the father and you walked away from family. Now you come back and you settle. 
Are you learning something? Boy, it's quiet in here. The good stuff now. The promises. Zechariah 1.3 Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Malachi 3, verse 7, Return to me, and I will return to you. Now that is the most incredible promise in the universe. That you have turned your back and walked away from God, and God says, If you will return, I'll meet you. Everybody say, God returns to us. Now, he doesn't chase after us, but when we're moving back toward him, what did the prodigal son's father do? He saw him a long way off, and he ran to meet him. Did you hear what I just said? You start moving toward God, God starts moving toward you. Now, now the idea that no matter what you've done, that the father so loves you, that when you start moving back toward him and you show that your heart is there and you're coming back with a whole heart, and really the prodigal had to do that. I mean, please, just, just this is a whole other study, but think of the journey of return. Think of he went out, and as he went out, he stopped in every village and every city and got drunk and spent money on the prostitutes and buy another round for everybody. And then he'd go on to the next place, and he just moved farther and farther away. As he came back, he had to go back through every one of those cities and remember. And do what? And do what? As he walked through that city, he remembered, man, I dropped a lot of money over there that night in the club. Man, did I get drunk and have sex with how many women in that club? Man, I bought drinks for everybody in that club. Man, if I just had the money back from that one night, I could buy a horse and get home quicker. I mean, he, he, the journey back was a journey of memory. Was a journey of what? Was a journey of memory. He, his heart was in this to face all the foolishness and the face all the West. His heart was in it. And as he almost gets home, his father sees him a long way off. And his father runs out to him. That's what the father will do. If you're here this, this afternoon and you've walked away from God, you start moving back toward God, God runs to you. Everybody shout, God runs to me. Now, now that, the idea of that just blows my brains, all right? That God would so love you that he would run back towards you. So he says, return to me, and I will return to you. The relationship is completely restored. The son comes and says, I just want to be a hired servant. And he yells, bring me the best robe. I just want to be a hired servant. Bring me one of the family rings. I just want to be a hired servant. Bring me some good shoes. His feet are a mess. Oh, and let's have a party. My son has come home. Fat is the heart of the father who loves you, who has hurt every, with every thought of the pain that you have been in because of the wrong decisions that you have made. You come back and the father says, the relationship is completely restored. I love you. Let's have a party and celebrate. My son is home. Oh, dad, I'm just, I'm not worthy. It doesn't matter what you think you're worthy of. You're still his son. Did you hear what I just said? You're still his son. But then it goes on. 
Second Chronicles 30, verse 9. For if you will return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion. Everybody say, a lightning of the trouble. Now, again, this is a whole sermon in itself that would take about an hour to work on. But when you begin to return to God, all that trouble that you're in, it doesn't instantly go away, but there's a lightning. There's a what? Everybody say, a lightning. Like I looked at a man, I said, you didn't get into this trouble overnight. You're not going to get out overnight, but God will be helping you from this point forward. There's a whole lightning of this thing. And, and people that have been cruel to you and people that have you under their control now because of your bad decisions, all of a sudden they'll begin to have compassion on you. All of a sudden they'll begin to be kind to you. And you look at them and go, man, they, they sure changed. No, they didn't change. You changed. And now God is working on their hearts and giving you favor, not just with God, but with man. But the last one, the last one is maybe the coolest one. Jeremiah 24, verse 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Why? For they shall return to me with a whole heart. When you come back to God with your whole heart, he fixes your heart. He gives you a heart to know Him. Now, when you walked away from God, prodigal, you started getting a lot of bitterness, you started getting a lot of anger, you started getting a lot of hostility in your heart toward God. And all of those attitudes have pushed God away. You don't even want to think about God. But God says, when you return to me with your whole heart, I'll fix your heart. Everybody say, God fixes it. And all of a sudden, you have a heart to know Him. And the Hebrew word there means to know by experience. You'll have a heart to know Him by experience again. It won't just be a head knowledge thing. There will be beautiful relationship encounters. And the bitterness and the hostility that you've, you've kept God at arm's length, all of that will be changed in your heart. God will fix your heart. Did you learn something today? Would you stand with me, please? A strange sermon. But this is what was in my heart today. I'd like every head bowed, please, every eye closed. If you're here today, and you're a prodigal, You've been born again, part of God's family. And man, you just got an attitude and walked off. But you're back today. And you say, Pastor, I want to come back to God. I want to return to God. I've been a fool. I've torn everything up in my life. I want to come back to God. God is good and His mercy endures forever. If you're here this afternoon and you say, Pastor, you're talking about me. I got born again a long time ago. But I've been a prodigal son. I've walked away from God. And I want to come back to God today. I want you to put your hand up high. I want to pray for you. Loud and proud.